Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Hi, everyone. I am Jamie Flam, and I am the Gatekeeper. Welcome to episode number two. We are recording live at the Hollywood Improv from the Sideshow Network Studio, just about 10 steps away from the office where I serve as the artistic director for this venue. Um, If this is the first time joining us, this is a show about the process of booking and getting booked. And the hope is that by sharing my experiences and others' experiences um, in these positions, we can help um, inspire or at least demystify a bit and um, be a helpful resource for artists that are trying to make it in just about any field. Um, Because getting booked is essentially just having someone say yes to you. Um, So I'm excited about our guest today. It's someone I've known for a long time, um, but we've become especially close in the last couple of years. And so we can talk a lot more um, than just about booking, but um, other cool stuff that we're into as well. I think it's cool. I don't know. His name is Troy Conrad. And um, welcome, Troy. Thank you. I'm going to read down this bullet pointed list of your vast accomplishments. Okay, we can skip through that. We can do a cliff notes. Okay, cliff notes. Stand-up comedian. Uh, yes, not practicing that much anymore, but yes. Yes, but that's where you started in comedy? Yeah, 20-something years. Yeah. Producer, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. goes over a ton of different things you've done. You're a booker, which is why you're here. That is correct. Um, in various capacities, we'll get a lot into that. You are a photographer? Yes. Yes, indeed. Taking some great photos in the comedy world. Um, and per your Twitter account, you are a ruckus maker. Uh, yes, and I can explain that. Okay, please. A ruckus maker is somebody who does something that's a little bit outside the box that might upset people. Maybe they create something in their standup. Maybe they create something in whatever their art is that um, that some people don't find agreeable, that maybe upsets people. It rocks the boat a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the only way to really, I think, to find, you know, you're doing something right when you've made a ruckus. And that comes from Seth Godin, by the way. Oh, which we'll definitely get into. Okay. Um, so we'll get back to Ruckus Maker. And I'm, I'm curious to know what ruckuses you've created because you seem like I a... Have ruck- yeah, I have ruckuses. Okay, amazing. I so a great ruckus story. Um, should we get right into it? Well, no, no. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. Sure. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us okay. about a ruckus story. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> so there was this controversy with, uh, with some of my photography recently. Which um, I do pictures all over for uh, for the improv, the comedy store, wherever I am in mm-hmm. comedy, I take pictures. It started by accident way back when I was um, producing shows. I you needed sat on a camera. Yeah, I need. And well, the I flash ne- went off, and you're like, "This I, is good." I, I, that's right. And it's like every all these pictures turned out amazing from just sitting. And I I actually had to um, take pictures for live shows, and so I just started doing that and getting better and better cameras. And then when I started getting like um, when I got my first DSLR, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I'm, I'm saying this because most of the stuff I do is sort of by accident, mm-hmm. but intentional accident. Like I'm putting myself in places and I'm doing the work. I'm actively looking. I have an eye for things, but I'm not, I don't have an end result in mind. I just do it. So I took, um, I took this picture at the comedy store of the entrance and uh, it was really cool. It was like the fisheye lens. It was a fisheye lens picture and it was of the entrance and I really liked how it looked and I didn't think a whole lot of it. I I put it up online and people were like, oh my God, this is great. And then I think maybe two or three weeks went by and I took a picture of Brian Moses, the, um, who runs roast battle, um, just walking down the hall and I was like, oh, that looks cool. And so sort of by accident, I found that's a great place to take pictures, just the look of it. And so I started, I, I went, you know what? I want to document comedians in this space. And so I did that. And what happened was it was people got really into it. And then people were coming up to me saying, Hey, uh, can I get my picture taken? And I was like, are you a comic? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, that was my bar. You're a comic. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, um, um, there were people who there's people at the comedy store who are paid regulars. Most people outside of the world, the comedy store don't know this, but that means that you're, approved to do sets there and you get paid whatever it is like $15 or something like that. But that's a big deal to be a paid regular. But what was happening was all these people are getting their pictures taken and 
they're not paid regulars. There are people who maybe have just performed a couple times there. Right, right. But they showed up sometimes just to get the picture. Like it became this iconic picture for a few weeks where everyone on Facebook <laughs> yeah, and I'm the booker of the improv Facebook. and I was jealous. I was like, <laughs> Will it be weird if I get one of these? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but 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 my idea, my my benchmark for doing that was that you are a comic. And I want, I thought it would be so cool to have just, I was like, at one point I was like, I would love to have every comic, but you know what I was missing is that I'm taking pictures in a location that is not my location. Like I don't own the comedy store. Um, and in photography, you need to, you know, check things out with Mm -hmm. locations. They just, you know, they have me there as a photographer and they like the stuff I do. So they were like, yeah, whatever. Um, but some of the people who are the paid regulars, who, um, in some ways they're gatekeepers, uh, in their own right. Like, you know, they worked really hard to get somewhere and they have every right to, uh, to sort of be proud of that. And so some people said, Hey, this is getting out of control. <laughs> There's a million people with these pictures. And I thought, well, that's good. That's cool. I mean, I, I like that. And so it got to be this big controversial thing where, uh, People were, were weighing in on it and yeah, there's too many. And I kind of, I, I basically agreed that there's too many, like it got out of control. And uh, so we decided that it would be something for paid regulars. But so that, w- that's exactly what a ruckus is. It's like, if your art is causing people to, it's causing controversy and causing people to get upset and all that, like that, that well, was I mean, that's almost the definition of art or something that will make you feel something you'd hope. Right. Right. No matter what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I think those pictures, by the way, they are fantastic. And well, I, you. and like being an outsider, um, looking at all those Facebook posts, um, mm-hmm. was really interesting to see. Oh yeah. And we'll get into that too. I mean, this is the perfect kind of intro into what this podcast is because essentially in a way you as the photographer were the gatekeeper because right. you were deciding I, what, what the bar was for who right. got that picture taken. Right. And now, and now it's sort of a thing that's for paid regulars. So there's a gate there, right? Um, and so it's not based on your talent. It's not, it doesn't mean anything except did you get, you know, you're at the comedy store, you paid regular, uh, you know, name on the wall kind of thing. Then you get one. Yeah. I mean, so that's not, there's, that's an easy gate. Now the gate is now operated by remote control, right? right. You know, but it's exactly that kind of thing. Like those people had to work really hard to get through that gate mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a difficult gate. I love it. Well, I mean, let's get into, I mean, um, I think maybe your, your biggest project right now or for the last few years has been set list. Yeah. Which, um, to those that are listening, if you're not familiar with the set list, why don't you just tell us exactly what it is? Okay. So this is me and Paul Prevenza's show and, uh, and along with, uh, with Barbara Roman. And this is a improvised standup show where we give a comic a set list they've never seen and they get topics in the moment, really weird stuff. And then they have to act as if that's the act they've been doing forever. And they do this live in the moment. They get zero seconds to prepare and it's a hell of a lot of fun and it's a huge challenge. So it's actually meant for, um, for entertainment and for challenging comedians mm-hmm. and actually even getting them to write new material and create new material in the moment. So you get to see the, you get to see their jokes mm-hmm. and then you get to see how they made the jokes in the moment. And that's really interesting. It's the, it's the next best thing to an MRI of a comic. How much do a lot of the comics like tape the sets and, and actually use that? A lot of them do. Yeah. A lot of people have actually used stuff in their specials. Mm-hmm. I know I just did Jackie Cation's uh, Dork Forest podcast and she used a couple stuff, uh, a couple jokes in her, uh, in her latest special Amazing that she got on sale. So a lot, but a lot of people do that. Um, and to, if, if you're not familiar with the show, it, it's in LA, especially it's so tough um, to promote even one show a month, but I mm-hmm. feel like there's 17 set lists a month. I know mm-hmm. when we do it here at the improv, it, it's always packed and it's always amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're doing it at other venues. You have, you have set list open mics for people that just want to practice the skill and get on your radar. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really great way for people to start. We have an open mic that anybody can come to. It's five o'clock at, uh, Flappers in Burbank, five o'clock every Friday. Uh, it, whether I'm in town or not, that show happens, uh, every day of the, every Friday of the year, except for like, you know, holidays. So that's been going five years. And, and also, so it's, it's also a, TV show? And it's a TV series in the UK and Australia. So cool. It's in reruns currently still in, um, in Australia. It did one season there and now we're trying to, uh, the whole idea was to do it there and then bring it here to the States. And so we're currently working on negotiations for that. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thanks. So, I mean, uh, with that show and you also do another show called Prompter, 
Which, yes. Why don't you give the quick background on that? Okay. It's, uh, it's a crazy show. It's um, TED Talks, mm-hmm. rejected TED Talks that are improvised from a broken teleprompter. So they, uh, they have no idea what the uh, talk is as these performers walk up there. And then uh, all of a sudden they, uh, they're talking and they're saying hello to the audience. And then uh, on the screen for everyone to see and on the teleprompter in front of them is, a, is the topic that they're talking about. And then the teleprompter comes on, scrolls, and then it keeps breaking down. So it's like to fill in the blanks. They have to fill in the blanks. It's like it's, a, it, Mad, Mad Libs. Libs. It's, yeah. it's, it's like an elaborate TED Talk meets Mad Libs. And uh, there's all kinds, of, there's charts, there's blanks, there's all kinds of stuff. And that's just a really fun creative show. And Jimmy Pardo is sort of the, uh, the Rosetta Stone of that show. He, he just became the guy I love who it. he has to do every show because he's, he's unbelievable. Well, he's the, one of the funniest people Absolutely. Ever born. But when you see him on Prompter, it is a different, it is a different way <laughs> of seeing Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, I love everything Jimmy does. When you see him on prompter, it's like he's, he's getting challenged and he's one of those guys who he needs, he needs the challenge because he's so comfortable with everything. Well, he's done so much crowd work and so, I mean, his, his audience <gasps> Nothing work throws is, him. Yeah. And so it's kind of my, my job in a lot of ways is to throw comics, mm-hmm. is to give them some challenges and, you know, um, and, and I think that's what makes people better. Absolutely. And so, I mean, talk about real quick and then, I, cause I want to get into the booking of that. Yeah, these shows too is um, but who who are some of the, like the luminaries that have been been on there, and what are some of the kind of like your favorite moments, um, and who kind of has excelled at this more than anyone else? A first set list, yeah. So okay, um, <laughs> well, a lot of times people ask me, hey, who's who's the best at it? Who's the be-? I get that all the time, and it's like it's such a weird question, and I always answer, I say, well, what's the best painting at the Louvre? Because it's all subjective, like mm-hmm. who you like, but. Everybody has people they like. I, I stay after shows and I say, who did you like? Who did you like? And nine out of 10 times, every person I ask picks two different people. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I like this person. So it just depends on your brain. Um, but I'll tell you some people that have done the show for a long period of time mm-hmm. who are absolutely amazing. Now, Rick Overton did the first show. Um, Rick Overton's a machine. He did from the beginning, as did Matt Kirshen. And mm-hmm. those are two people who, to this day... They're on a lot of shows and people love seeing them. They all have a unique style. Um, but there's some people that, um, that I've just found amazing and exciting to watch. And it always blows me away. I never am bored during the show. So TJ Miller mm. um, is like a, a beautiful acid trip <laughs> to watch do it. And it's like, he's so comfortable. Um, Greg Proops, uh, he loves it because of the challenge for him because it's not, again, it's not easy. And it's not like in, in regular improv, you have a team, you have someone to support you. So if something doesn't go right, that's great. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to pick that up, but this is just, you're the only person responsible. It's a very extreme level of responsibility you're taking on when you step into that ring. Totally. So, uh, so Greg Proops is just, knocks it out of the park. Like it's, um, there's a couple comics, but Emo Phillips is another one where people say it was kind of like watching someone at a batting cage hmm. where it's just the ball is coming and then crack, crack, crack. Some people have like, like, um, usually comics get four or five topics, Greg Proops, Emo. There's some people, they might do like 10, 15. How long is there a set time for each set or do you like kind 10, of 10, 15 yeah. minutes? I think, I yeah. think like normal, but sometimes we go 20 where it just depends on, you know, how many people we have on the show. Um, when we do it here at the improv, uh, we usually have five comics on a show. So people get a little longer, mm-hmm. um, but everyone has their own unique style. You know, I was actually just reminded. And um, I mean, it's one of my favorite moments in, in comedy was um, doing sketch fest two or three years ago and um, at Cobb's. And it was, and I don't know if you were there that night, but um, when Robin Williams went up, yeah. and I'm sure he did it several times, but how cool it was to, to, to the last time I think I saw him perform. Yeah. Um, but um, how surreal that was because obviously improvisationally he's on another level. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't know you were there that, that night. That was his first time doing it. Okay. And um, you know, Rick Overton was in the back with him and he's like, come on, you pussy. You Come on, you're going to do it. Come on. You And Eddie Pepitone just went up and then. And then I said, uh, I go, Hey, Robin, do you want to do it? And he goes, uh, let me see how I feel. And uh, I'll go after Eddie. And so, and Eddie's up there crushing yeah, it. Of course. Yeah. And, and Robin goes, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, he went up there and it was amazing. 
How exciting is that for you as a producer? I mean, I know even at booking shows exciting. here, it's like when those big, I mean, otherworldly people go up, it's just like, the, the, you know, the goosebumps and like, I can't believe this person's doing a show that I produce. It, yeah, no, that that's amazing. And then part of me also feels like I'm so excited that I got to give something of value to this person. Like, like, sure, it's exciting. Like, oh my gosh, Robin Williams did the show. But the most exciting thing for me is he had fun on the show. Of course. And afterwards he was, he said how terrified he was. And he stand. the best part was afterwards upstairs, he's standing around with all the other comics on the show. And he's, he was saying like, oh my God, I was terrified. Oh my God, are you guys, are we shitting your pants? And he was just like, they were all sort of bonding about how tough it was. That was amazing to watch. You know, it just made me think, and, and you know, we've, we've talked about this before and we'll get more into it in a little bit, but you know, as a producer, that almost should be um, your number one goal is obviously to, pr- to produce a product and a show for people that are paying money or not paying money just to be there to watch it. But, um, you know, sometimes, especially the, the big name people is like, they're doing us a favor, but remembering that if you're producing a show, um, hopefully you're putting your heart and soul into it so that you're giving something back to them too. And that's, what's going to keep them coming back. That's what it's about. It, it's like, it's a weird thing, right? technically everyone is trying to get booked. Like my show is still trying to get booked. We're trying to get booked onto a TV series right now. Like there's everything is, is constantly trying to evolve and grow and, and attain new levels. Right. So I have to provide a service just like I have to make the show as, as great as it can be so that it gets the, so the audience is happy. The venue is happy. And then we continue doing it. Like, that's what it's about. Right. So I have to provide a service just like a comic has to provide like a certain, well, you want to work here? What, what are you bringing to the club besides, um, your, you know, there's people who can say, well, I'll, I'll bring in 50 people. Okay. That's fantastic. And that only can last one time. Right. Um, but there's other people who can bring in 50 people because they're awesome and they're doing something they love and they're having fun doing it and they're doing it well and they mm-hmm. busted their ass to do it and they took a chance they made a ruckus they made a ruckus yeah it all comes back to that ruckus is that a wu-tang uh, reference no that's the seth godin reference oh yeah you mentioned that yeah but maybe he got it from uh it may be um i forget which wu-tang member maybe the rizza i don't okay. know how familiar you are i'm not as familiar with we've, the we've learned that the demographics for this show we have a large uh woo contingency Oh, okay. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um, well, that I mean, talking about set lists. So you have all these shows, and yeah. I know as much as anyone, there are hundreds of comics in the city. Um, how many emails do you get a day, or how many? What's what's your pool look like, and then how do you pull <laughs> from it? Tell us how you book your show, especially mm. you know to obviously um, you know you want to get names that will sell tickets, and obviously yeah. you've built your your. Um, roster of those people that are also perfect for the show. Yeah. So for everyone else, how how do you get on the yeah. show? Okay. Well, so it's a slightly different show than a normal standup show in terms of booking because um, because uh, I'm often booking people who are I mean not only well known comics but they're also really good at the game. Um, and then sometimes there's new people um, who are trying it out. But um, this is how it works. We have the open mic. That's kind of like level one. People can come do that and just, I get to see people do that. And then from there, um, if, if I like someone and I see them enough and they're like working hard, then I can put them on, uh, we have a monthly show at Rafa's in, um, in Echo Park. That's, uh, it's a Thursday night and we do it like once a month and it's great. And that's kind of like a, you know, a mid-level show where, um, there's not a, a lot of pressure, but you get to do the real version of the show. Mm-hmm. Are you um, there? And I'm there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I I run it. And, and so from there, once in a while there, I'll see someone go, Oh my God, that's, they're, they're so good at this. I got to get them on, you know, one of the other big shows. Um, but keep in mind, like I have to fill seat, I have to fill seats and I have to fill seats in big venues. Mm -hmm. So I can't just have a show of like, um, you know, I can't have like five or six really great comics who are brand new at this Mm -hmm. and, and expect to, sell out. So I have to mix people in. So it takes a long time. So my booking process is this. And I tell, I, I say this up front at the, my go, you guys, here's how you get booked. You do great sets. And then you write to me and you say, Hey, 
what the fuck, man, I'm having great sets. And if you do that and I don't respond to you, you should be confident enough to know that I just missed it. And you write back again, you say, Hey man, double what the fuck I'm, I've been crushing it. I've never heard a booker that's inviting. I want people to. With a what the fuck. Because you know what? Yeah. Well, (laughs) they can say it nicer. Uh, no, because that's, uh, you know, those emails, I, I they get my attention. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that when well, someone puts something in a subject line. That brings the, the idea of, well, I guess you wouldn't be booking someone if they weren't consistently crushing it. Right. Um, versus the delusion um, of a lot of people. Like I've been, I've gotten, certainly gotten emails about, I don't know what, what the fuck, dude, I've been crushing it. Oh, like, oh but unfortunately <laughs> you're not really crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I get, I'm saying that when they write to me. They should say, Hey, you watched me crush it a bunch of times. And it's like, Oh, now I'm remember I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing 15 to 20 comics a week just at the open mic. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I get a lot of emails and it's like, okay, so you add up those numbers and then how do I work them into these monthly, even having these three or four monthly shows, that's not even close to enough. No, I, you know, I, I book a club seven nights a week and granted there's so many things that um, you know, take time away from, uh, standup sets. But, uh, even then there's not enough Yeah, spots to go around. And, and, and as you know, like there, and there's hundreds of people that are crushing it Yeah, for it, so few it, spots. It's super competitive. And so what I tell people is, um, well, the, one of the set listers that started at the open mic, who's fantastic. And I've been able to put her on some, some big shows. Her name's Tammy Connors. And Tammy said, be the comic that you want to book. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like that. Like she stopped, um, the, well, not that she ever did, but she kind of stayed away from all the whining of comics going, oh, I can't get booked is a thing. It's like, well, what are you doing? Like, if you're amazing and you're killing it, then you should be confident enough to keep emailing and be persistent and take your career seriously. And I ask all the comics at the, at the open mic, I started, I go, what, what are the three things you did for your career this week? If you can't write them down then you're not taking the business part of show business seriously. That's so cool. You're just doing the show. That you do that at an open mic. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? I always say this and and I don't even care if it annoys people. I'll tell you where I got this from. I always, when I go to, when when I host open mic, I don't go do comedy up front. I don't, (laughs) I don't do five minutes up front as an MC with my new material. Mm -hmm. I just, I want to ask them, Hey, what are you doing for your career? And, and I always I don't know if it annoys people and I would never care if it did in a million years. I would never care because I, I worked at an open mic where there was a guy uh, named Bino who did that. It was a Culver city open mic and he would sort of talk about um, the business and he, he worked in show business forever. And there were a few comics and they were sitting in the back and they opened my comics and they were like, man, this is annoying, man. This guy's like lecturing us. And you know what? Now I can safely say I have perspective. It's been, eight years Mm -hmm. since that there was a nightly open mic in Culver city, Marvin Mary's all those people that were like, yeah, man, what's with this guy? They, I've never, never heard from him again. (laughs) Never heard from him again. They're working in a factory somewhere in Iowa, but the people that stuck around, Mm -hmm. there's still people I see today that are working the business doing it by one of them, Nick Thune. Oh, amazing. He never complained in the back. Mm -hmm. Um, Ty Rivera. Mm -hmm. We did this thing all the time. Every, some of us are there every night. And then you could do three sets a night. So it was this amazing place, but the people who got it really developed. And the people were like, Oh man, I don't know the guy hosting that runs it. Uh, he's always talking about show business. And it's like, I just want to do my, like those people thinking about themselves and not how to be better. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything. Well, I think, I mean, he says like, it's taking it seriously. And, um, when I did stand up years and years ago, and I only did it for a couple of years. And I thought, by the way, I was delusional. And so a difficult part about my job is I kind of understand and empathize <laughs> too much. Cause I under, like in my mind, when I was doing stand up, I was ready to do the improv, <laughs> put me on Conan and yes. it, no, not even close. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it just, where we do stand up and we have an inflated sense of yes. self anyway. Um, but I, I never took it seriously in that, in that business way. And I think it's, it, it's not a, I think a lot of comics, or anyone in any field does that. They, um, they want to take on this thing, but they don't, they forget. It's, it's more than just, I am talented. I'm going to tell jokes. Yeah. There, there's a, a way to look at how you can build your career and steps you can take and, and things you can learn. And 
you know, ultimately um, people in our position want to, t- you know, deal with the people that are taking it seriously in that way. Yeah. Uh, when I, I ha- it's kind of a reality check for people, right? When I, um, when I was a new comic, I remember I'd probably been doing it a year. I started in Phoenix and we had the Tempe Improv. We had some bunch of other clubs, we had Knuckleheads. I went to um, Tucson to Laughs to do a set. And I remember telling the booker like, Hey, uh, you should book me, you know? And, and I said, here's my resume. And I had all the, all the club. I, I worked at the improv. I worked at knuckleheads. I worked at this. I did some out of town gigs. And he goes, how many, um, how many clubs have paid you for a week? And I was silent. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I felt like I just got punched in the stomach because all of a sudden that was the benchmark for them. That right. They don't want to take a chance at that point on somebody who hasn't been paid by another club. Well, eventually I just, you know, I, I, and also I wasn't there all the time. I didn't live in Tucson. I eventually got in and that became kind of like a home club for me, mm-hmm. but that was a great reality check because all my blah, 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 blah talk, it came down to, oh, who's, who's actually paying you to do this? And that's the, right. that's when you're a professional, when you get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And you may be better than some of the other professionals out there. This is another thing that I say to all the comics out there um, at the open mic. I say, remember this, that in five years, the people around you who are less talented than you, but return emails faster are going to be way ahead of you in their career. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Isn't that true? Yeah. Like that's totally true. Like if you think that you get ahead just by having amazing jokes, you better you better be a person of extreme faith and luck that someone else is going to pick you up and do it for you. Mm-hmm. Cause that does not happen. That hasn't happened since Lucille ball. And I don't know whether it was that 1952. It was like 52, maybe 53, 54. <laughs> I, I, I around that, 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 era. that realm right around there. She got picked up by somebody discovered her and went, Hey, let's do this. You know, or Robert Evans, what year was that? You know, uh, Hey, you're great, kid. I'm going to put you in a picture. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen. You got to bust your ass now. And, and more than ever, I mean, there's more opportunities than ever, um, but you have to stick out and find ways to stick out more than ever. And to talk more about being professional and, and treating it like it's your career. Um, you know, I'm at a phase now too, where I, I want to start pitching television shows <clears throat> and starting to look at, at some of these treatments. And it's no different than putting a treatment together than your standup or mm-hmm. you as a performer, like this is your product. This is literally, you are a salesperson every time. So, I mean, for me, it's a booker when I see someone, even in a small show in our new lab space or even an open mic, like if I was an open mic at um, a club and the booker or people were there watching and I had three minutes, you know, I would maybe at that club spot, you know, do three minutes of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But just remembering like that, that is your product that you're we're all selling something um, to make it look and feel as good as possible. Yeah. And having said that, that doesn't mean that every time you perform has to be your like super polished um, anxiety about how perfect it's going to be set. Like if I always notice this, especially with like comic special, like when they put out their Netflix special, whatever, it's like, I'm not always seeing the comic in the way that I get to see them in the clubs. Mm -hmm. Right. Like really like, not just saying funny stuff, but being funny and just being in the moment and, and, you know, not worrying about the cameras and stuff. But when all of a sudden, when it's time to tape the special, everyone goes, I got to have this perfect. Mm-hmm. And people do that at open mics. It's got to be perfect that there's a booker. But what if you just decided to be your fun self and kind of not give a shit in a good way, mm-hmm. you know, and just be funny and be confident in yourself that you're good. Well, I was giving advice to a comedian the other day. I mean, when you're, especially when you're just starting um, stand up, even at the open mics, have punchlines and jokes <laughs> and have them memorized. Yeah. Because that takes away all the pressure of, you know, being up on stage and trying to figure out. Um, and, you know, Louis C.K. can go up and work out material on right. stage um, and he has an hour to do it um, or 15 or 20 minutes. But if you have three minutes and especially in early stage, just, they don't have to be great punchlines, but have a, have a know where you're going with that joke yeah. and then learn it. And then that frees you to be yourself. So you can still organically react to the reactions. You yeah, can still exactly. show who you are instead of being in your head, trying to remember the joke or being like, Oh, I forgot. I don't have a, a, an end for that joke. Right. I mean, yeah. And that applies to everyone except unless you're a comic who, uh, your career is built on you, just the guy who makes statements, uh, then you don't need punchlines. 
Right, the statement comic. <laughs> the statement comic. Johnny statement comic. <laughs> he was big in the uh, late 80s. I remember cool. John Daly used to do um, a character called, um, called um, uh, Come On Now. You ever see? No. He'd wear a white t-shirt and slick his hair back like with a bunch of like, like uh, gel and grease. And he would just make a statement. He'd mm-hmm. say something like, donuts, come on now. <laughs> and it was That's definitely one of the best things I've ever seen. And he did this for eight solid minutes where he would just name a thing and say, come, come on, on now. now. And I, that w- I saw that, that was six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. It still makes me laugh That's on a weekly so basis. Yeah. So come yeah, on, have, have your stuff. Like he's making fun of the person that you're talking about. That's like, that shows up without, without anything. I don't know if you're a fan of Andy Daly. Oh God. I love Andy. He's Daly. so brilliant. But, um, he put on an album probably seven or eight years ago now called, um, nine sweaters. Oh yeah. I heard about that. I don't know. Some number of sweaters. Yeah. Um, but I think he just had a residency at UCB and would record it week to week and do characters. But I one, maybe even a couple of characters, but one in yeah. particular, just, he says nothing. It's just like all the tropes of, of, of standup, um, but not actually say anything like what's up with this thing. Okay. Well, uh, you should check it out. Listen to it. It's available on iTunes, which is available on your computer. Outstanding. So Troy, I was saying earlier, like, I mean, you're such a, a nice individual and maybe you have a dark side that we don't know about uh, the ruckus side. I have a ruckus side, but, um, in person, do you have any, like, is there any horror stories or, I mean, dealing with, um, comics and, and performers in general, and that can sometimes be very aggressive or, um, confrontational maybe even, has that well, ever been an issue? Okay. I, I got a good, okay. This is actually a photography one, but it's from a comic and this applies exactly, exactly to everything in comedy because it represents a sort of terrible plague, which is called entitlement where people have this feeling that they, whatever they did, they feel entitled to what you are booking or what you're doing. And so <laughs> back to the, the comedy store pictures, when I took these pictures, um, I had this, a girl on Facebook write to me, I didn't even know her. And she said, Hey, um, I really like your photography. I'd like to do a session with you. And I said, Oh, okay, cool. And then I, I wrote back and I said, okay, well, you know, here's some of the times I've available and here's what it costs. And she wrote back, she went, Oh, it, it costs money. Uh, I was thinking we would do a trade of, of, wait, what was it called? I think she calls it a photo trade. And I go, Oh, I I don't know. I've been doing photography for a while. I thought, what is the photo trade? And so I said, (laughs) what, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you take pictures of me and then I'll have those pictures, but then, you know, you'll have stuff for your, um, for your portfolio. And I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. (laughs) This is just a person. Like, I don't even know this person. And to me, and, and by the way, what happened was, um, I said, no, sorry, you know, I don't, I don't do that. Um, but thank you. And, and, but she kept sort of almost like, well, what, what pictures can you take of me for free? Like, it was this really strange, like entitlement, like I deserve free pictures because I exist. And I thought, well, you know, this is what part of what I do for a living is photography. So it's weird for you to, to write to me and ask this. And, uh, you know, eventually, um, she, I think her last text was something like, well, I don't even need pictures of that, that much. So fine. Like, oh, it was just very weird. And I thought, what a strange, oh, and there was also this like promise of, and if, you know, but if you do these pictures for free, you know, sometimes I produce shows and I can, um, I could hire you as a photographer. Look, yeah, we can talk about that down the road. But the reason I'm telling that story is because that represents a little bit of all of us, right? Sure. I, I've been in places like that where I was on the other side of that. Um, but never like in that type of manner. I've had that feeling before where I felt entitled to something like just as a comic or whatever, but that's a, that's poison for us. And it also messes up how we relate to people. Like, I don't ever want to see that person again. Mm, No, I've, (laughs) and I talked about it on the first episode of the show and I I have a feeling it will be probably the most recurring theme in a a show about booking is entitlement. And I could talk about that for hours. It's just, it's, um, and, and I mean, be, we're both performers and we both came from that and we're still performers and we're still bookers. And, and like you said, even people in booking positions, depending on where you're at, there are you know, other things that we're aspiring to. So every day, um, whether it's, you know, pitching TV shows or, or, or trying to get our, our live shows um, in, in bigger places or into festivals, we're on the other side of it too. 
And so I'll find myself on any given day, like, um, even for things I didn't even apply for, like, it's like, why didn't they pick this show that I produced to be in this (laughs) festival? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It makes it a little bit maybe more difficult because we have an empathy and a sympathy for those that are coming at us with that attitude. Um, as opposed to just like a, a stone cold booker that's like, fuck you. I pick who I pick and that's it. Right. Um, but so I understand, um, you know, feeling like you're at a certain point in your career and you, in that, you know, sometimes feeling like the world owes you certain, certain things, but that's the exact attitude that. That's a poison. Yeah. Thinking that, that, that the world or someone owes you something, um, is, uh, it can be really detrimental. Now there's a difference between that and being professionally pushy. Like if you are good at what you do, then it's not only your, your right to be professionally pushy, which is those emails. Like when I say, Hey motherfucker, uh, I'm, I'm crushing it and you watch me. So Mm -hmm. when can I get booked? If you're not doing that, then I, I just feel like you're not really taking things that seriously. Like that's a good thing to do, but to, but to like say, Hey, I just moved here and I have a great YouTube video. And so why aren't you booking me? And like, you know, I, I had, I've had plenty of that and I'm sure you get, you have the, the main bulk of it. Uh, but like, it's really, it's really hard to deal with people like that. Cause they're like, what if, what if they end up being great? Like you don't want to discount people, right? You want everyone to be included as much as possible. Mm-hmm. People, people think that, that, um, <laughs> I don't know. I think people, unless you've booked a show, that's why I recommend every single comic when, uh, start an open mic. Mm-hmm start your own open mic. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't matter if there's three people that show up and it's in, uh, in the lobby near an elevator of a corporate building, wherever you start that open mic, it will, it will change how you view the business because you're now in charge of something. Yeah. And, and then you start to know what it's like when someone's like, what? I can't get on. Oh, fuck you. You go, wow, that was out of nowhere. Like, I don't ever want to be that person. So you learn so much about the business by doing that. And by the way, you develop material like crazy. If you're a stand-up, you want to get better, start an open mic. Absolutely. Or start a show. I mean, there's so many free shows in LA for better or worse, but um, so yeah. many spots um, across this town that have an empty room or a stage and would be happy to let you do it. Oh my it. God. You walk into a coffee house that's never had comedy and you go, Hey, how about, what do you think if I uh, bring 10, 10 or 12 comics in here? Probably only two of them are going to buy something, but it'll be entertainment for your thing. It, it probably take you two or three places and you're going to get a yes. Maybe all three. Totally. And I think it's, it's, it's so smart. And I'm every comic, especially young comic should be on the other side of that and understand. And I do get, you know, tons of emails that some, they blow my mind when it's like the question of, I don't, I just don't get it, man. I just don't get why I'm not getting booked. Like I've done this and this and this <laughs> versus like you said, the professional pushy. And I, I don't want to ever in, um, um, encourage people to be pushy, but um, if you're undeniably at a good point in your career and you're undeniably going to be bring something to the stage and sending an email every couple of months saying, Hey, just checking in like the, the, or even like um, I always appreciate it when, it, when, when there's that preface of like, I know you hate this. I know you get a thousand emails a day. Um, no <laughs> pressure, but I'm here. Like, cause it's, yeah. it's someone that yeah. does understand oh, totally. and they do want that stage time and they, but they're also respectful of what you're doing and have no expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're just, that's, that's professionally pushy. Like they're not, um, they, by, by the way, they may have expectations, but they don't have an entitlement and right. that's a big distinction. Um, you know, yeah, there, there's so many opportunities and people, uh, people can sort of, uh, ruin them by not being present. I heard a guy, uh, the other night I heard a comic saying, man, I can't, I'm not even going to say which club, but it was, it was someone going, man, I can't believe I'm not like, like, um, part of the rotation here. Like every week I, I've got a huge social media presence. I can bring a ton of people. Um, I've got this special out. I've got this. And I was like, and, and by the way, I went, you know what? That person would be a great. And, and I, I said, Hey, well, I go, do you ever, um, do you ever hang out here? Like, Oh no, I don't do that shit, man. I thought, well, you know, that's, I, even though we don't want to think that that's a part of the business. And when you're not doing that, you're saying, 
I have enough going on where I feel entitled to this without having to know the people that are the gatekeepers. It's, and you know, I mean, it's, it's almost cliche at this point, but um, <clears throat> we're people and it's like yeah, personal relationships and liking the other person. And that's how not just Hollywood Familiarity. or comedy works, but the world, like people yeah. want to help people that are cool as fuck. Yeah. And, and when you see people out, um, they're part of your world. They're part of your community. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always more likely to book the people that are part of that world. And there's some people who are regulars that, that come to the shows that, um, that do the open mic. And I'm always more likely to book them because then I see them and I go, Oh my gosh, that's right. You sent me an email. Cool. That that's almost that quadruples the chance that I'm going to be able to book them right there. Totally. Um, no, you want to know that you're supported. Um, on the flip side, and I don't, I'm sure it's true of your show and other clubs as well, but having people that hang out here almost too much. Yeah. Oh, totally. To the detriment of working on their craft and out being out hustling. And right. You don't want to put all your eggs in the basket of one place. Right. Um, certainly, you know, make yourself a fixture and hang out and, and be there when you're not doing sets elsewhere, but don't just, um, yeah, like I said. And, and to the detriment of your career. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't give up doing your three spots a night because you want to just hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a really, that's a terrible cycle to be in. I have a buddy who, um, I've known for, for 10 years and he just will only do open mics and he won't ever get out of that circle because he's gotten so comfortable with it. And I don't think that he wants to be in that circle that he's completely entrenched in, but that's where he's comfortable. Is he good? Uh, I think he does pretty good. I mean, I haven't seen him in a long time, but yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I did the road with him once. Um, I took him on the road with me and he did a great job. And then I felt like after that it was up to him, but he's pretty much just done open mics. And, and I think that has to do with, he's not like bugging anybody and you have to do that. Like you have to be submitting yourself and getting on shows where you get seen so you can get in somewhere I think he just got comfortable with it. Well, that's, that can be like, that's, that's going in circles. You're not helping your career. Mm -hmm. You might be honing some jokes, but really who you're still going to be, who's seeing those jokes. Like, you know, it's, it's like, why even be in LA? Because, um, you can do comedy in all kinds of different places in this country, Mm -hmm. but it's different when you're here because of the people that you meet and then who you become in a um, giant rat race like this, you know, you get, you get to test your character and you get to see how much it sucks to start over. Mm-hmm. When Louis CK moved here, I remember seeing one of his first sets, like the week that he moved here and he was talking about how hard it was to start over and move to LA. And so once I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, that makes me so much more comfortable with how difficult it is here. It's, it's not easy. And it's kind of a, a quick tangent, but kind of, um, on what you were saying, like whether you're doing open mics or, or even small books spots at free shows or $5 shows or whatever it is, no matter where you're at, remembering that, I mean, an open mic is an open mic and it really should always be that. Um, and you should, it's a place to work stuff out. Um, and you know, smaller rooms are workout rooms for bigger comics. And you know, when Louis CK comes and does the improv perform for 200 people is his open mic. Right. But remembering that you're always surrounded by your peers. And this is again, talking about stuff that I was doing in my brief stint in standup where, you know, I get booked on a, on a small show and, um, you know, kind of, um, try my best and try out some new jokes. And part of it was just, I didn't understand, um, how it worked. Um, but remembering you're, you're, you're surrounded by your peers and if you are bringing it professionally, no matter where you're at, um, you know, word gets around too, you know, like a lot of comics and, and it's, talking about that idea of undeniability there, you're going to reach a certain point, you know, where all the club bookers and people at um, that level will just know that you're undeniably good. But a big part is, you know, we're all friends with comics. Yeah. You know, when, when Troy comes to me and says, um, you got to check out this kid, um, whoever it is, I'm going to check that person out. So whether it's the bookers of these other shows, but also other comics will come to me and say, um, I've been doing shows with this person and he or she is just, um, they're killing it right now. You need to know who they are. Um, so just remembering that you're like, it's always, you're, if, when you treat this like your career, um, good things are going to happen and treat every, every set is, this is your life. Yeah. This is how you want to, you know, make money and, and 
give back and all these things. So, so to, to bring it every time. Yeah. It, it makes a huge difference. And, um, you know, like when I, back to that community, when I started, I'd started an open mic, um, uh, 10 years ago, it was upstairs at IO West and, um, it was, it was so much fun, but you know what happened out of that? And this is why I tell people to start an open mic because it wasn't just that I got to develop a lot of material. I did, but not only did I get to know a bunch of great comics who are great today, but I also, they got to know me mm-hmm. and I didn't even think about that. Never thought about, never occurred to me that people were seeing me. I'm just trying out stuff in between. I do a minute in between comics and you know, that worked out to be an amazing thing because then people knew my work. Remember that the, the, the old paradigm used to be, uh, it's not who, you know, or uh, the old paradigm used to be, it's who, you know, and now it's, it's not who, you know, it's who knows your work. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, you may know somebody, but just, you know, again, like someone hanging out doesn't mean that they get booked, but if I know their work and then I get familiar with them, it's so much easier. Totally. It's so much easier. I love, well, it sounds, I mean, this seems like a good, place to transition to, to, um, you know, our shared, um, our love for, um, personal development Yeah, for maybe lack of a better term, but, um, um, Troy and I have, um, over the last couple of years, well, I'll just say like, I mean, in the last year, <clears throat> every month, Troy and I get together and, um, we go over all of our accomplishments for the last month and yeah. our goals for the upcoming month. And it might sound cheesy to, to many of you, but, um, it's become a very important part, I can say for myself, of um, reminding myself um, why I'm here, what I'm doing. Yeah. And also, I think t- being able to take stock in, in the things we do do, because as artists and producers, and especially when we have a, a ton of projects and things that we want to be doing, we sometimes forget how much we are actually doing. Um, so I recommend that. So, I mean, just let's talk about a little bit like that. um, So that was, uh, that idea was started by, uh, amazing dude named Kevin E. West who started a thing called the actors network, which is no longer around, but it was amazing. And, um, and then part of it was we would get together. It was 20 people for two hours and you're in a circle. And basically you are doing this. You say you have like, whatever you have two minutes and you say, Here's the accomplishments, the concrete measurable things that I did the last 30 days. And here are my goals for the next 30 days. You're saying that out loud in public. And when you do that, uh, it's very interesting what happens. It's so different than having a to-do list. Mm-hmm. To-do lists, who gives a shit? Like you can just have one and, it, and then go, go, you know what? Go through and find old papers. If you keep stuff like I do, I've actually found old to-do lists and I went, oh my God, that was 10 years ago that none, not many of these things seem important, but I didn't do a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But when you are saying it in public, you're conscious of it. Like you feel like a responsibility to do that thing. And so I, th- I find it really powerful and he called it power group. So I, that's why I call it. And, uh, you know, Hey, down the road, we should have more people involved and, and, um, and, uh, you know, make it a group. Eventually we can, I, I, I think everybody should find a way to do this because when you just, just find a buddy, and say, hey, last 30 days, next 30 days. And you, you're not allowed to justify anything. You're not allowed to say, well, I didn't do this thing because no, no, you don't get to say that. You just get to say you, you did this thing. And when you go through your accomplishments for the last 30 days, you will, you'll be astounded how much you actually did. That's, that's you, the crazy that's the thing, right? inspiring part. Um, it's amazing. And Troy, I mean, through doing like, you start counting the things that you would never even count. Before. Yes. Like, um, you know, obviously I booked this club and so I'm booking upwards of, you know, now 80 <laughs> plus shows oh every month. And the, one of the coolest things that, that you started, um, um, talking about was like, you were able to pay X number of comics. So oh, like I was able I to pay it. 40 comics. Oh, and so I, every month now I'll tell Troy, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I, as a booker of this club got to pay, um, hundreds of comics and that, that, you know, that's, it's a great, that's all I want to do is be able to, um, you know, mm-hmm. compensate people for making great things happen. Oh my God. Yeah. And so starting to count those things instead of the things you didn't do and focusing on those, like here's all these little things that we forget that we do every single month, um, that gives some perspective to like how much we're actually accomplishing. Even if it's, even if it's your day job, if you sent out 750 emails last month and cleaned your house and it doesn't from little things professionally or creatively, to just little things. It's, it's important to remember. I did a, I did my first student film. I must, I was like maybe 24 
And uh, all I remember is the filmmaker, the director's name was Laura. And when the, this is a student film and in Arizona. And when it was over, she gave me 50 bucks. And there was no pay for this thing. She gave me, and I said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. Yeah, it's, and she said, no, 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 take it. And I said, no, 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 seriously. It's student, it's fine. And she goes, no, take it. It feels good to pay an actor. And I was like, I got it. And you know what? I still, I, all the time I think about that, how significant that was. And I, and I've always liked that. It's kind of like the kid stays in the picture moment. Like, ah, oh, that does feel good. It, it's really wonderful to pay someone for their art and to, to, I mean, it just feels great. When we did the TV show, people got paid on that and the crew got paid. And it's just, it, it's the best feeling in the world to be a part of something that is, um, enables people to do what they do. It's, it's the best thing in the world. I mean, one of the most rewarding parts of, about this job is especially when people get paid for the first time <clears throat> Yeah, and you kind of know how, where people are in their career because you know, the, the clubs in LA aren't known for being, um, the, you know, the most, uh, you're not going to make millions of dollars doing a 10 minute set at a club in LA. <laughs> um, but when comics reach that point where they're like, Oh, thanks for that X number of dollars, dude. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. yeah. where maybe they are getting to that entitled point. Um, but no, when, when someone gets up on that stage and gets paid for the first time and yeah. getting that email or that hug and it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. And, um, it, and it's not, by the way, it is not about the amount of money, right? It's, it's about the acknowledgement of getting, um, 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 some type of reward, some type of monetary reward for, for doing what you do. And, and so it's, I always want to pay people as much as I possibly can, but it's more important to pay more people. Absolutely. And, and then that's just some advice I think for, for if you're running shows around LA or no matter where you're at. And I think there's, you know, there's been a little of a backlash because especially in LA, there's dozens of free shows. And of course, free shows for comics to work their stuff out is great. But even if you charge five bucks um, or whatever it is, it's not to screw people out of money, but it's, there's mm. for a good show. It's yeah. there. This is a, like I said, a product. This is a, a show an event, a, yeah. an experience for people. And to be able to even give five or 10 bucks or, or more to the, the people that are up there doing what they're good at. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a argument for, you know, even having cheaper shows around town. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I sometimes hear people talk about this. I sometimes hear people say, yeah, man, I did the show and it was sold out and, uh, I only got this much money. And, uh, I think the producer, I don't, I have to say, I really don't hear it that much in LA, but I've, and other places I've heard this and, and it's like, do you know, I, and I think I used to think that, but do you know how much it costs to produce a show? Like how much time and energy people do and how much they can't do other stuff for a full-time job to produce a show. It takes a lot. Mm -hmm. And for a while I, I always, I had, I hire, I've always had an assistant. So I, I have an employee. I pay that employee to help me in the production of the show. I pay for all this stuff. So if there's a show where at the, at the, a lot of the shows I don't get paid for, like the, there's no nothing, but, but, um, sometimes there's, there's like smaller shows where it's like, I'll get like 75 bucks or something like that. That doesn't cover what I spent on that show. Oh no. And so it would be weird. And I'm, yeah, I've never had this happen in LA. Cause I think people in the, in, in this city sort of understand this, but like, it's really not easy to, to make a show that makes enough money to pay for all the expenses and stuff. No way. It's tough. I mean, the clubs get a bad rap and, you know, I'm not a fan of, you know, the two drink, two item minimum. And, um, but you start to get it like, and, and that's maybe one of the, a a parting shot for this is, uh, remembering that, um, these clubs and, you know, like to keep the doors open. Yeah. Um, speaking to what we started with, like, you know, need to put on, a polished, good product. And so we need experienced professional comedians to hit that stage. Yeah. And especially for the, some younger or, you know, greener comics who are like, why am I not getting my chance? It's, it's not always personal and it's not always about the talent level, but you know, for, for a venue like this to be able to, you know, pay and another side of it, remember too, like, you know, it's not just turning on the lights and a mic, you know, like, there's a wait staff, there's bartenders, there's electric bills, there's. And you know what? That's what I was going to say is that feeling when, um, when that director, Laura said to me, it feels good to pay a comic. Well, you know what? Everybody can ha- can have that feeling 
when you go to a comedy club, and by the way, I love the two drink minimum. I love it. I feel good when I go to a club and I pay for a two drink minimum. There's something about it. Like I feel like, oh yeah, this is part of this system. Somebody, somebody invented that and now we do it. I like it. Wow. Great. Um, (laughs) But you know what? I always tip extra too. And I feel like that's a responsibility. Like when you go to a comedy club, tip, tip servers well. Once in a while, go in the back and <laughs> throw 20 bucks down at the kitchen staff. Do do that kind of thing because you'll start appreciating it more. It'll make you a better person watching comedy. And I mean, a bunch of comics come to mind um, that I won't name, but some of the biggest names in in the industry that, that we know and love when, when they come to this club. Um, and I'll just say, I mean, David Tell, when he comes to this club, he will bring bags of candy. He will order pizzas. He will oh, take yeah. care of the sound guys, the, the wait staff, because this is his life. He lives in clubs and he knows all the blood, sweat and tears that go into making it what it is every day. Um, but that's all, I mean, in the, in the scope of this, um, podcast and the theme of it, just remembering that's all exists to put, um, to create careers for comics. And so remembering like when you're, when you're itching to get on that big show at the big club, um, and eventually theaters and all this stuff, like, um, that's what you're, you're looking to earn. It's yeah. more than just a 10 minute spot on a show. And so you can show up and, and do your, your jokes. It's, uh, to be part of, um, this, uh, this bigger operation, this bigger machine, um, that all these other people are a part of. Yeah. And by the way, when you tip well, you make, you make comedy better. You make it keep going. Yeah. You make shows better. You make the enterprise grow. And so that's literally pouring water on the plant of comedy. So keep doing that. It sounds like a propaganda piece for know, um, tipping. Doesn't it? Like, I don't work in the service industry, but I'm just saying, uh, I believe in it. No, absolutely. Of course. Take care of everyone. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line for everything. Specifically at a comedy club. I love it. Um, so, I mean, the final thought then um, is uh, what uh, we uh, became kindred spirits or we were always kindred. We're all kindred spirits. We're Remember, all. if you're listening to this, you are a spirit of kinder, <laughs> as they say. But um, Seth Godin, you mentioned his yes, name earlier. Seth Godin. Just d- d- tell us really quickly. Okay. Like, um, okay. First, if, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with Seth Godin, all you have to do is go to Google and type in quieting the lizard brain. And you will watch a video that is life-changing. Um, so life-changing that that's what um, motivated me and pushed me into um, actually making set list happen. And that video is about Seth Godin's an amazing author and speaker. Uh, and he's kind of like a, I don't know how to describe him other than like a, um, an anti-marketing marketing guru in a way, but I hate that. I hate that the word marketing is even in there. Um, but he's really about, um, making your art and then shipping your art. That's Mm -hmm. the big word. The key word is shipping. So like, let's say you wrote 20 jokes this month. Did you perform them in front of people multiple times to craft them? Cause that's shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, once you got all those jokes, did you put them together in a CD and call somebody and make a recording happen? Or did you make that pocket when it, when you make something, you ship it when it's out there in the world. It doesn't always have to be that you, that you charge for it, but obviously that's when it's really professional work is when you charge for something, even if it's a little bit. So your benchmark is shipping. So you know that you're full of shit if you're just doing stuff that's not shipped. Like the, the example is like, um, Hey, I got this idea for a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I do have really? a couple I want to pitch you, but <laughs> we all have ideas. He mentions this in the, uh, in, in this quieting the lizard brain video. He talks about the Wachowski brothers that made the matrix and how, when they came to Los Angeles, they were like, wow, it's really super easy to think of a great movie idea, like a great movie idea, sure. but it's really hard to make the movie. Oh my God. It's so hard. And if you don't think so, wait till you get to editing. That's just part of it. And so that's what he talks about. he wrote a book called the dip, which mm-hmm. is about that. Every project that's worthwhile has a dip where you are going to hate the shit out of that project. You're going to go, oh, this thing sucks. This, oh, I suck as a comic or, oh, this, this movie I'm making, this is, this is no good. Or this sketch, uh, no. you're always going to have that dip and it's going to make you want to quit. And then you have to decide, am I going to quit when I've put in all this time and energy and then go on to the next thing and then quit at the next dip? 
And then you can have a life, which is just a bunch of sequential quits at the dip instead of going through that. And I, and I, I had a huge, um, thanks to Eddie Pepitone. Um, he pushed me through a dip when we made this film called Runyon, Runyon just above sunset, which is basically Eddie climbing Mount Everest, uh, climbing (laughs) Runyon Canyon as if it's Mount Everest. It takes him six days, a Sherpa and an expedition leader, uh, for, for a half hour hike in Hollywood. Well, that movie, we shot so much footage. It was so difficult, so challenging. And, um, and it was brilliant. And every day was so much fun. Eddie Pepitone, Come on. I mean, you just put a camera on the guy and oh, it's God. gold. Yeah. I mean, gold. But you know what? When it came to um, those multiple hard drives of all that footage and working with editors and paying editors and sitting down with them and then editors flaking and all this stuff that happened, that was the dip. Mm-hmm. It was the dip. And I kept trying and trying. And then there was just this stalling where it was like six months went by. Nothing. No progress. And Eddie pushed me through that. And then uh, one, uh, we submitted to two festivals. It got in both and won at both. Congrats. That's amazing. Uh, and yeah, so that, but that, that would have sat on a hard drive forever and never have come to light. Mm-hmm. So what's another reason um, to have, um, what do you say? Power, power group, power group. You, yeah. Or I mean, then that's just a friend or someone that's going to push you and get you through those times. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I guess my final thought on Seth Godin is, and the book that I read that really just changed my outlook was, uh, it's called Lynchpin. Oh, Lynchpin. Which is, I mean, the, about being indispensable yep. and making yourself indispensable no matter what you do, whether you're a comic or no matter what, no matter what you do. And that t- book talks about shipping yep. um, and what it takes to ship. And it's all about just, you know, getting whatever it is out there. And what I really got from that book, the biggest thing was his definition of art, which is art is a gift that you give someone that will inspire some sort of change. Yeah. And he has various um, takes on that definition. But I realized, you know, in my first year here at the improv, when I was at a point where um, I was almost like six months in and giving up for various reasons and read that book. And then it was like, you know what, I'm not putting my love into this. I'm not giving, I'm not, I'm not treating this as a gift that I want to give other people. As soon as that started happening, as soon as I started doing that and putting my love and passion to it, in spite of, the challenges and that goes for no matter what you're doing, things changed overnight and things really started taking off. And that lab became a spot next thing, you know, I'm booking the main room. And so I attribute a lot of that to just, you know, no matter what's facing you and how hard it is, especially stand up, if that's what you do or trying to just make it an entertainment, you know, it's, um, it's remember why you're doing it and remember that it's core. It really should be, you're, you're giving a gift that will change. So when you're writing your standup, um, when you're, creating anything, if that's the intention that you really want to inspire some sort of change, whether that's making him laugh, whether that's uh, wanting him to think in a different way or just, you know, interpret life in a different way. Like if that's the core, you will succeed eventually. Yeah. Or and, not. <laughs> and, and you know what? Creativity solves a lot of problems. And so when you're, when you're doing all your work and you're shipping a set, every set you do, you're shipping something. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're building a good factory. Keep that factory going. Right. But when, when it's time to get booked, think about that. There's more than one way to get booked besides sending an email to someone. And then everyone says, how many emails should I send? Should I like, now what if I'm just annoying or whatever? Um, if you're good and people know your work, then that's a no brainer. Like you can easily follow up and, but be fun. Like mm-hmm. you're comic and we're in this business. Like why not use that opportunity to, to be fun about whatever the email you send or. Um, what Troy's trying to say is a lot of emojis. Yeah. Emojis are really what makes this business. I like the one with the, it's got the happy face with the little halo. I like the halo. I like the, I usually look with a dog and that always oh, makes me smile. The best. But, but like, look at how Conan got his show initially. He was a writer and he was unknown to everyone except the writers at SNL, but he went in and he made this entire big elaborate, um, like PowerPoint and he had a whiteboard and he did a whole presentation for executives and he basically sold them on him being the host. They were never going to pick him as the host, but he was so funny and he was so creative in his approach Mm -hmm. to showing them why he should be the host of the show that they had to give it to him. He became a linchpin. He, they had no choice. So you, you also have to be somebody who be so good that people have no choice, but to book you. Cause that's the people I like to book. It's the people you like to book. And 
the, the people that are listening, if you're running a show, those are the people you want to have on your show. And it's a, it's a pretty simple thing. Be the person you want to book. Tammy Connors. I love it. Well, that's, I mean, that, I guess, I mean, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for it's coming. It's been fun. So any social media where people can find uh, sure. you? Sure. People can Troy Conrad on most things on Instagram, add an S, Troy Conrad's. Um, and I have uh, my website launching by the time this podcast is out called humansofcomedy.com. I love it. Well, we'll check that out. You'll definitely want to come back. I can talk to you for hours. I would love it. And if you want to check me out at Jamie Flam on Twitter at Hollywood Improv, I believe for the Hollywood Improv um, at Sideshow Network, maybe we'll find out. Check. Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you, Ben Stewart, for recording this today and thank for you, the place. And, you know, my my closing my closing thing for every show is work on your craft endlessly be a professional be undeniable and be cool as fuck always for more episodes of gatekeeper you can subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts you can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on twitter a very special thanks to the sideshow network the hollywood improv Andrew Stevens, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.